0: People
1: first organizations will win in the future of work. The only real asset is your people. We, we all, all want purpose-driven purpose work. work. HR-led organization is. I'm the sorry, but leaders don't lead
0: empty desks and empty
1: shop floors. Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show. I'm your host, Sri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly, and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films, and music. This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hello, this is Sri Chalapa again with People Strategy Leaders Podcast. And today I'm joined with Victoria Peltier with Accenture. Uh, Victoria Peltier is a Managing Director at Accenture where she's a trusted advisor to Fortune 500 companies helping them transform their businesses and corporate cultures. Prior to that, Victoria was an America's talent transformation leader at IBM. Acting as a change agent for DEI while at IBM, she was actively involved in the advancement of women initiative with global business services and part of the LGBTQ resource group. Also recognized as a top 50 business leader in technology by Insight Magazine in 2021, and a mentor of the year by women in communications and technology in 2020, HN- HSBC Bank awarded Victoria the Diversity and Inclusion Innovation Award in 2019. Well, welcome to the show, Victoria. It's, it's an honor to have you on this podcast.
0: Thanks, Sri. Happy to be here.
1: Excellent. So you've obviously been working in this area for a long time, and you've been a CEO before as well, Wesley, one of the youngest CEOs. Um, and now you are uh, working with a lot of CEOs and boards to transform them. Uh, especially focusing on travel and hospitality industry. So obviously it was a very challenging time during COVID and travel and hospitality has really taken off in the last year or so since you know the restrictions came down. What are some of the challenges that you're seeing today uh, in that industry when you talk to the CEOs and uh, the board members?
0: Well, there's there's a multitude of challenges that they're facing, Shri, When we think about their the workforce, as you said, be, this was an industry that was hit hardest, fastest when the pandemic first arrived. So what we see now is there, I mean, there's a fight for talent regardless of industry, but this is one that has now a bit of brand or reputational damage. And so there's work not just by HR and business leaders, but with marketing to find a new way to brand and bring back excitement to attract people back into travel and hospitality. So that's challenge number one. Then challenge number two is there's an expectation from, the consumers and employees to have a digital grade experience consumer grade experience as we work from home or remotely these last you know couple of years so while they're just recovering in terms of revenues and starting to see that rise because there's all this pent up demand from those of us who wanted to travel they had capital costs to kind of fix the burning platform that stuff that needed to be fixed but now have this compressed transformation to create this new experience that again employees and consumers are expecting so it's so it's a pretty significant challenge on all fronts
1: so you know the travel obviously has picked up quite a bit and the inflation obviously has uh, hit the consumers pretty hard with with the travel costs also going up and the hospitality uh, hotels and stuff costs also going up um are you seeing that impact the um the overall, uh, you know, bringing people back into the industry because I know a lot of people quit that industry, and many of them swore never to go back to restaurant, you know, serving in a restaurant or working in a, ho- in, a in a hotel. What uh, what are you seeing now with the transformation that industry is now having a resurgence?
0: Well, where it might have not been a final destination for some of the employees, you know, whether they were new immigrants or it was a stopgap between others. Uh, what we're seeing is there's an absolute demand for it because there is a return to travel one two, the you know customer expectations there's no longer a significant amount of patience for the lack of resources that are required so companies are being forced to pay more to try and find a way to make it a destination and therefore a broader career path you know from entry level through to for those who desire it to move into leadership levels. But the competitive wages is one of the biggest challenges. And then second would even be trying to find a way to look at different ways in which they compensate. And so um, in hot hospitality, you know, take restaurants, for example, the ability to create really flex pay options where people can get paid almost on demand versus every week, biweekly or monthly. And so that's a, that's a pretty big shift for companies in terms of the infrastructure and the systems that they've got to do the those
1: kinds of things. Yeah, while we are seeing, you know, layoffs, uh, at least in tech, tech sector, I don't think that's necessarily happening in the hospitality and the hotels and uh, in that industry, right?
0: No, this is an industry that um, is very much growing and where, you know, what I've seen in with some of the clients that I'm supporting directly is at one point, I mean, they laid off a significant portion of their workforce. And then for some companies, for some of maybe their corporate functions, they would have leveraged an outsource provider to give them variability in their cost structure. They're now trying to bring that back in house and trying to hire. And so this may be perhaps this is an opportunity opportune time for those that have sadly been lay off, laid off, as we've heard about Meta and uh, Twitter I'm a whole different thing around Twitter. Let's not get into that conversation. But that's an opportunity, I think, for many of these people in the tech sector to go into some of these companies and industries that are hiring. The reality is every company is a digital technology company. Even if that's not their core product and service, that's the enabler around that kind of consumer and employee-grade experience I was talking about sooner. So I think there's they might be looking traditionally just to look at a direct competitor to one of the tech companies they might've been laid off from. But I think there's a a host of opportunities, whether it's financial services, travel and hospitality, or other industries who need those kinds of skills.
1: Yeah. What are some of the best uh, CEOs doing to attract the right type of talent? At this point.
0: Well, I think, and I'm not a fan of the phrases that are grabbing media headlines. You and I, you know, joke quickly before we hopped on around quiet quitting and quiet firing. But the reality is those are those are things that have existed for a long time. When you take quiet quitting, for example, often that would just be called employee like disengagement. And so I think what what we're seeing is CEOs and boards and the CEO's director reports are Requiring to create um, a number of things. One, a company and the roles that um, are about purpose. So purpose-driven, purpose-mission organizations that align to the individual values and what they think will create great impact for them. That's number one. Two is looking at leadership, human-centered leadership. Whereas the, there might have been a very different environment a number of years ago, where it was the employer's market, as we just talked about, there's an employees are demanding very different. So there's a big shift in how leaders lead, and much more from a, from a sense of humanity, again, that human centered piece. And then the overarching culture of the organization, I personally believe culture is the outcome of the leaders, the policies, pr- procedures, language, action, behaviors, all of those things, those can't be ignored now. Those are what and why employees are choosing to stay and show up. It's not just purely about compensation. They want to be doing good work that they feel is impactful and they want to work for great leaders in a place where they enjoy going into work and feel like they belong.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of you know the whole movement away from work-life balance to work-life integration or work-life uh I don't know, synchrony i guess is another word i heard um so i think that really makes a big difference now how people perceive work right they think of work as as something that defines them in some ways and we used to tell people work doesn't define you but it in, in a way it does uh and it defines you because it tells you uh you know you should have a purpose and it also tells you who you're working for matters uh your the company that you're working for their mission and their purpose matters so it's not just about compensation where you you know punching the punching the clock so are you seeing that really to be a permanent shift or is that more of a temporary phenomenon from uh, your experience
0: i think the pendulum has swung i think there will come back to an equilibrium at some point but because i think it was so much about the hustle hustle hard all the time and the lack of integration better i I agree with you. I don't really love the work-life balance, but it's all just life. So, how do we choose to integrate those? And so I, I do think it swung. I think these last couple of years have put in the minds of all of the employees what's most meaningful to them. Again, going back to you know the, the their personal mission, their family, their other interests, etc. So I think it will come back, but I don't think it will ever swing back in the way it was previously. So this is where employee employers need to find a much better model and hold their leaders to a different standard in creating the right kind of environment that ultimately drives a high level of employee engagement and therefore productivity, retention, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So, <clears throat> well, you know, one of the things that been also been very big in terms of organizations that attract the best talent is DEI. And you're obviously one of the leaders speaking about DEI, what type of, uh, data have you seen or experience have you seen when organizations really make a big investment in taking that approach?
0: Well, what I've seen is there's two things related to that, Shree. One is there's often a huge investment on the diversity component, component, the mix of the employees that are coming in the door without the necessary investment in the other piece that has employees not running out the back door as quickly as they've come in the front. And that's the piece around culture, leadership, creating inclusive policies, an environment where people feel like they can belong. And so I've seen that investment made and lost because they didn't invest in this other area and make significant changes. For those that do invest in a much more holistic D, E, I, and B being belonging program, significant increase in the amount of innovation that that occurs. You'll even see in terms of the number of of risk. And when you think about um, uh, uh, behavior and ethics that might happen within workplaces, again, high engagement means higher retention, higher productivity, which means increased top line and bottom line. So although I think some um, not so modern leaders think that um, they're paying for um, doing ultimately what I believe is the right thing. Um, and I think they believe that there's this trade-off in this cost um, in in doing it, much like many other sort of ESG initiatives. But the reality is it brings significant, tangible benefit to the organizations, its customers and its employees.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of organizations that talk about it and there's organizations that actually do it and they do it right. What are the differences that you see? Uh, or the, what are the the good ones doing Right. Well, the
0: good ones are leading from the front and being really declarative about how they're going to move the needle forward. And by being declarative doesn't mean they're just signing up for what might be mandated. I mean, in the U.S. is further behind than in, in other countries like in Europe, where there's much more regulatory requirements around it. Although here in the U.S., you've got the SAP, you've got NASDAQ who are saying you can't be listed on their exchanges if you don't have you know diverse board members. And so it, leading from the front means being declarative, signing themselves up, not just for those that they're required or regulated to do, but putting forward a lofty goal in terms of their plan to get to gender parity by a certain um, point or people, you know, visible, um, underrepresented minorities in roles and at all levels. And so that's not just even at, you know, the leadership or board level. I mean, it's throughout the entire organization, creating equal opportunity and seeing diversity across the entire pyramid you know, that that's one big difference. And the other is what I just talked about. It is creating the right kind of environment where there's very high scores around the policies and, and procedures that create that opportunity for everyone, but also just makes it feel like a really inclusive, you know. Culture where they feel like they belong, but that means being really bold, and it means taking action against some of the toxicity that might exist from high performers who delivered to say that's not acceptable here because you know we we expect something very different going forward.
1: Yeah, the reason I, I guess I talk about these topics uh, on this here is because the retention is higher, right, in those organizations. The engagement levels are higher, um, and yet it seems like it has not taken off as much as I would have expected given that the data, the business data KPIs strongly support having a very diverse uh, approach. So I'm just a little, I guess, a little surprised by that, to be honest, right?
0: I am too, I'm disappointed. You know, the World Economic Forum, when you looked at their, they just did a a gender parity Um, report study that just came out within the last couple of months. And, you know, we're fortunate in North America that it's only going to take 60 years to get to gender parity versus 120 plus in other parts of the world. But to me, you're right. That's incredibly sad. You know, women make up, and this is just gender because you can't, not all countries can capture all the same level of data related to diversity metrics. But what if we just look around from a gender perspective, why should it take when we're 53% of the population should women still take 60 years before we earn the same as our male counterparts yeah um, yeah on, on a whole so yeah it's disappointing to me for sure as well
1: so <clears throat> so as you're talking to these boards is that is it one of the mandates you're seeing more and more that the boards have to be diverse from your clients as well
0: absolutely uh, there's you know you, you one it is being mandated by a, a lot of regulatory bodies to have a certain amount of representation, certainly gender. And they're starting to look at the other measures of diversity as well. And there's a lot of intersectionality that can exist between people of color, LGBT, and, you know, gender as well on it. But that's number one. Um, As I said, SAP and NASDAQ both have requirements around that. But the other thing is around just more broadly, ESG components and the need to report out on that. And so whether that's um, And and this is where I have conversations with, you know, C-suites and boards that, you know, diversity is one element of that. There's also, when you look at the products or services they offer, you know, are not just the workforce, but are the products and services they offer equal and opportunity to a multitude of different constituents, think health and welfare, for example, are there different outcomes for different, you know, constituent consumer types. So that'd be one to all of the other elements, obviously, you know, looking at, you know, carbon emissions and those kinds of things related to ESG. So there's much more regulation. And it's beyond kind of the myopic view of just what a workforce diversity looks like and all these other elements.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I was actually having a very interesting discussion earlier today, about how the businesses have to move away from taking on a single stakeholder approach of just shareholders but a multi-stakeholder approach of employees are stakeholders your society is a stakeholder uh, your government is a stakeholder uh, and the environment is a stakeholder all of these are stakeholders and the organizations that have actually done that actually do outperform in the long run for the shareholder ultimately so it's kind of a no-brainer to me that you know organizations really need to take that approach so um, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I I feel like it's 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 the pendulum on that side I think is only going to swing this way. I don't think it's coming back, hopefully not.
0: <laughs> I agree. I hope so as well. I mean, at Accenture we did a study around what we called these elements of responsible leadership and it was all the, you know, five different dimensions around sort of, you know, the emotive, intuitive that made, let's call them the softer skills um, you know, we have within a business and leadership around technology and innovation. Um there's the, you know, that yes, that sustainability component related to environment, et cetera. And what was really interesting is you look at where the different stakeholders of If a public company, your shareholders, a private could be your your major shareholders versus top executives versus even your your newer entry or younger generational um, employees. Very different in terms of how they plotted those different elements of responsible leadership on the map. And this is where, again, getting connected to purpose um, and the superpower of the company and then also just kind of the the way it is to, to operate within it. It, we we need everyone to work synchronous uh, synchronous. I'm saying the word to, wrong today, but I'll be working together basically to recommend that, you know, there, again, there does not have to be a trade-off in long-term business pr- prosperity for having a great balance of those five areas of responsible leadership. Yes, you're going to continue to innovate, invest in technology, but you're not doing that at the expense of the right thing for employees around creating the right kind of products and services for, I I diverse, like customer base and creating great experiences for employees.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, uh, Victoria. It's been uh, really been honored to have you on the podcast and how can uh, people uh, reach out to you if they want to learn more about you and what you do?
0: One of two places are the best options. One, I have a website, which is where I post a lot of my content articles. I write podcasts I'm on and media, which is Victoria Dash peltier.com or you could just find me on LinkedIn if you're in the business world and we can connect there as well.
1: Excellent. Well, we can't kind of miss you on LinkedIn since you're one of the top influencers on LinkedIn. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much for being on my show. Thanks, Sri. Sri Chalapa here. Thank you so much for listening to the People Strategy Leaders Podcast. If you are a successful leader or a people strategist who would like to be on this program, please visit engagedly.com slash people strategy leaders podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag people strategy leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios, for recording and mixing this show.